0: Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as he leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. Well, I I can't lie. I don't know if my preaching is going to be as good today because I can't move my hand as much as I normally would. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It is hard to believe that next weekend is essentially the last weekend of the summer. I mean, I know it's not really, but... Uh, it, it's kind of how we do things, right? It's the last weekend of the summer because it's Labor Day weekend, and 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 we kind of begin these new rhythms and new patterns. The pools shut down. I mean, that's the marker of the beginning and the end of the summer, at least in the south, right? The pools open and the pools shut down. Uh, but it's the last weekend, and that and that means kind of we're ending this season of celebration of graduations and confirmation, and um and in a great sense the wedding season. So many weddings happen in the summertime. Um, It's the close of one season and the beginning of a new season. There's something that all of these things have in common, and that is, though it is the end of something, is the beginning of something new. This is a pattern that we see throughout Scripture. The end of something is not the end, it is a new beginning, this is certainly the message of hope that, that, that Jeremiah shared with the people of God, even though they seem to be at an end in this time of exile, in captivity, this seeming dead end to the promises that God has made, had made to the people of God. Actually, it was a, a new beginning, this future of hope that had been promised. This is never more true than of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What seemed to be an end is, in fact, a new beginning. It, it In light of the resurrection, it changes how we understand our own place in the story that God is telling. Because through the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, we are reconciled to God. We are restored. And yet we are also given a new beginning. It is finished in Christ, but it is not over. It is not over. Easter is more than just a day. The resurrection is more than just a a new beginning in Christ, but it's a new beginning for the world through the body of Christ, through us. The work of Christ is finished, but the work of the church, the body of Christ, goes on because it is finished, but it is not over. The story that I want to share with you from the scripture today, one that that Rick already um, mentioned, is from John's gospel. And it's from the 20th chapter to the 21st chapter. The unique thing about this passage of scripture is that it points both backwards and forwards and i believe has many things to teach us about this such a time as this that we find ourselves in a seeming ending for the way we understand ourselves or even act as the church of jesus christ in the world in our country and even in our denomination a seeming ending is in fact a new beginning john's gospel itself opens in a very unique way. We see almost a retelling of the creation story, right? It echoes Genesis. And yet this is a new beginning that God is sharing in his son, Jesus Christ, this recreation story. God is doing the work of recreating in and through his son, Jesus. The I am of the Exodus is in fact the way, the truth, and the life, the fulfillment Of God's promises comes in Jesus and New Testament scholars debate about who the author of John's gospel is and we're not going to go there but there are there are several things about this gospel they debate on but most agree that John 21 is a sort of epilogue an appendix of sorts when it opens with a third appearance of Jesus to his disciples And seems to serve to them and to us as a reminder. Because we need reminding, right? When we look at through scripture, we are called to remember and remember and remember because we forget. We are people prone to forget. But we're called to remember, And this is a reminder to us that it is indeed finished, but it is not over. So I know that when I, a year ago, when I first preached here for the first time, I told y'all that I preach better if you talk back to me while I preach. So you're talking back to me is when I say it's finished, you say it's not over, okay? (laughs) It's finished, but it's not over. All right, we're going to get there together. So why is there this epilogue? Why is there this reminder? We need reminding. So I'm going to begin at John's in John's gospel. I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word in the gospel of John, beginning at verse 30. And God's word says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. But wait, there's more. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of the fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be be to God. God. You may be seated. But wait, there's more. (laughs) But wait, there's more. This epilogue, chapter 21, the seeming finish of the gospel of John, and yet this new beginning. Maybe like the disciples, we just want to go back. We just want to go back to what's familiar. Certainly grief has a way of doing that to us. We want to go back to what is familiar, what is predictable, what is comfortable, Our default modes, whether we realize it or not, are very, very hard set. It's easy to fall back into those old patterns to what we know. And here they go back to fishing, this old way of being and living. Though seemingly everything had changed around them, everything. They'd been on this journey with Jesus for three years They'd seen miraculous things. They'd seen him killed. Some had seen him living and breathing again. But they'd gone back to the same thing, even though everything had changed. Can you relate wanting to go back to the way things used to be, whether it be in a relationship, whether it be in the community, whether it be in the church, wanting to go back to the way things used to be, when things were more comfortable and predictable. But when everything changes, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to stay the same. It's what we want, right, if we're honest with ourselves. But the God who makes all things new wants to make all things new in us and through us as well. We can't go back. If we're honest with ourselves, we can only go forward, whatever the case. As this passage begins, it begins in the dark. The disciples fishing all night in this epilogue. Much like the early morning hours that we read of in just a chapter before in John 20, where Mary comes to the garden in the dark, weeping and mourning, ready to prepare Christ's body. Weeping and mourning for the way that she knew was forever changed. And yet she mistakes Christ here in the garden. This place of new beginnings, this echo of the new creation. She mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Here in the dark, the disciples are fishing all night. And yet, how, and they catch nothing. And yet, however dark it might have been for Mary in the garden tomb or for these disciples on the water, this is where new days begin. This is where new life begins in the dark. Instead of returning to what we know, what would it look like to fish on the other side of the boat, just as Jesus calls his disciples to cast the net on the other side? Because it's finished, but it's not over. All right, y'all catch up. Jesus is on the shore The disciples see him, but they don't recognize him at first. Of course, John tells us he recognizes him. God bless him. (laughs) He recognizes him. They don't recognize him, just like Mary doesn't recognize Jesus initially in the garden, right? He's out of context. Like, who would expect to see Jesus again? He's dead, right? They've caught nothing, and he gives them these curious instructions, First, to cast the net on the other side of the boat, which wouldn't have made sense. As Rick shared, these were professional fishermen. They knew how to fish, and they caught nothing. And so Jesus tells them to cast the net on the other side of the boat, confounding instructions to be sure, not only because that's not the way you did it, but it also would have meant that the net was caught in the, 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 the steering apparatus. It could have potentially torn the net. And as my fishermen friends point out to me, that it actually would have meant that they were pulling the net in with their weaker arm, their left arm, considering they were all right-handed, right? All the disciples were right-handed. Does anybody know? <laughs> <laughs> but they were pulling it in with their weaker arm. So Jesus invites them to do this old thing, fishing, in a new way. And the net can hardly contain the fish, one can't help but recall Jesus' initial call of these fishermen and his promise to make them fishers of men, doing an old thing a new way, right? The easiest thing for them to do was to go back to what they knew. But in many ways, that was doing it in their own strength, right, in their own ability, And yet Jesus was calling them to do something that didn't make sense. It was on the other side of the boat. It wasn't in their own ability. It wasn't even in their own practice. It wasn't what they had done. It wasn't their norm. It wasn't their place of comfort. It wasn't their place of strength, as they had to pull this catch in with their left hand. This they could not do in their own power, this making them fishers of men. It required reliance on God, the power of God working in them and through them. It required obedience to what God was calling them to do, even when it was outside their comfort zone, even when it was outside of their, their norms, even when it was outside what they knew. It required a reliance on an obedience to God. Their old self, their old way meant their own strength, their own ability. Jesus' way meant his power, his strength, not theirs, not ours. God's power, we're told in the scriptures, made perfect in our weakness, but we first have to stop trying to manipulate, trying to overpower, trying to, to do it in our own strength. God's power is made perfect in our weakness because it is finished, but it's not over. It is not over. We can only imagine how nervous Peter was, right? I mean, we're told that the man is essentially naked and and he jumps into the water, um, puts clothes on and jumps into the water. But at this point, the only contact that Peter has had in reading John's gospel, sometimes we can put all the gospels together and think certain things happen in a certain order, but in John's gospel, Peter has come to the tomb and it's been and it's empty. And he runs away. He runs away. Peter has denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus told him he would. He runs at Jesus's arrest. He runs from the empty tomb, and now he is running toward Jesus. It's such an illustration of this thing we called repent we call repentance in the church, this big churchy word that means returning to God, realigning to God, refocusing and reorienting our lives on God, a turning away from the things that distracted us, the things that we have run to instead of running to God. It's such an amazing illustration of repentance. Something we can learn from Peter here as he turns toward Jesus is in order to be to be reconciled, in order to be um, returned to God, we have to first repent. We have to turn back to God because new starts require repentance. New starts in Christ require repentance a turning back to God, not our own abilities, but God's ability, not our own strength, but God's strength, not our own understanding, but God's understanding because it is finished, but it's not over. Thank you, my friends. So Jesus is cooking fish on the shore. He's expecting them. He's got that coal fire burning. He didn't go out and hit the gas lighter as soon as he saw them, right, and start the grill. You know how long it takes to get the coals going just right. Got any barbecue masters in the room, grill masters? It takes a long time to get the coals just right. Jesus is expecting them. He is waiting for them so patiently, already, already, Cooking fish. Interestingly, it, it, it is this place where Jesus has done the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and fish earlier in the Gospels. The same place, the same shore. And here, these fisher, fishermen bring in this miraculous catch. And Jesus is already cooking fish. And he's like, bring some of what you got to the fire. See, Jesus doesn't need what we got, but invites us to participate in what he is doing. This is the patience and the kindness of God. Jesus invites them to participate, to participate and ask them to bring some of the fish that they've caught that he helped them catch, right? Bring some and put them on the fire. In our participation, in what God is doing, There is transformation. There is transformation that we're invited to be a part of as we bring the little that we have and turn it back over to God, the God who has all that he needs, all that we need. We're still invited to participate. We're told the exact number of fish, 153. It's pretty curious. It sounds like a fisherman's tale, or maybe a pastor count in attendance. I don't know. That wasn't a class I took in seminary, but... I know some pastors that did. You know, a lot of of, uh, fishermen, they they weigh their fish. They measure their fish. They take pictures with their fish, right? Apparently, somebody counted all of these fish, 153. It's curious that we're given this number. Um, God's provision is miraculous in both the feeding of the 5,000 of this at this place and in this catch. Scholars debate about what this actually means, this number that's reported here, and they, they seem to agree that it is an inference to the 153 species of known fish in the sea at that time, pointing to the nations of the world. That Jesus has called us to share the gospel, the great commandment, to love God and to love others, to go and make disciples a reminder that they are not to be fishermen, but they are to be fishers of men. That God had immeasurably, miraculously more because it was not finished it, it was not over. He had finished the work on the cross, but it was not over this work that they had inv- been invited to participate in, that we have been invited to participate in, empowered by the Spirit. When Jesus went to leave his disciples, he told them it, it was better that he went away. It was better that he went away so that the Holy Spirit might come, that, that we would do even greater things, multiply the mission, the proclamation of the good news of God's love and grace and reconciliation to be a part of, to participate in this rescue mission that God has sent Jesus for. It was better that he went away. Here is a reminder that the nations of the world yet know, are yet to know the hope that we have. This future with hope was not just for them alone, but for the world, for the world. New disciples from all nations, because it was finished, but it's not over. It's not over. In January 2022, Barna, which is a a research group that um, devotes itself to following trends and patterns, or the state of the church in, um, in America, took a survey on discipleship. Their mission is to help Christian leaders really understand what's happening in the times and to, to, um, to know what to do as a result. Amongst the data they uncovered was the startling fact that just 28% of Christians, people that identify themselves as Christians, just 28% are fully engaged in a discipling community. And what they mean by fully engaged, their definition was being discipled by someone else and discipling others only 28 percent. They discovered that 52 percent of those attending church at least once a month, and that is just over that as average worship attendance now, church attendance, say that their faith was important to them and strongly agree that they have a responsibility to tell others about their beliefs. But are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we focused on just fishing in the pond that is most familiar and most comfortable that we best understand? Are we going out to the deeper oceans where there is a world of people that don't know the hope that we have, that don't know the hope that we have? One of John Wesley's questions in his meetings was, with whom have you last shared your faith If I had to ask you that question today, and they met regularly, what would you say? How would you answer that question? With whom have you last shared your faith? When did you last speak to someone about your faith? He is, Jesus is directing us and encouraging us, challenging us even, as he sends us with the Great Commission. Many Christians don't even know what the Great Commission is that we would go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to go, to respond faithfully to Wesley's question, is to live a life of going. I've often argued that the the Methodist church—I'm an ordained elder in the Methodist church— the Methodist church has forgot taken the go out of our mission, right? Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, but that, that necessarily means that we're expecting them to come to us. Gone are the days where worship attendance is what it used to be. Gone are the days where everybody just comes to church. Gone are the days of that Christendom mindset where the, the culture revolved around the life of the church. We have to remember to go. We need to be reminded that the nations of the world do not know the hope that we have this future with hope in this epilogue to john 's gospel there 's a, a sort of recommissioning right they have their they 've had their last supper and now they 're having their first breakfast, an end, and a new beginning a recommissioning for the disciples, a reminder for the disciples in this appendix in this epilogue that was added for. A very significant reason. However dark the days may seem, I want you to hear that new days begin in the dark. However inadequate or ill-equipped you may feel, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. However much we want to hide out and run away or go back to what was, new starts require repentance, a turning to God, because it is finished, but it's not over. The finished work of Christ on the cross is complete, but the body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit is called forward to be a part of this new thing that God is doing. We get to participate as a part of the family of God. We're in the family business of rescue sent to the world. We're now living in what some argue is the second largest mission field on the planet. And yet the nations have come to us. Our neighborhoods, our networks, our workplaces, our schools, they are our mission field. Together we are the mission force, called and sent by God, empowered by the Spirit with the disciples. All of you, all of us, not just the professionals, But all of you are a part of this great multiplication of the gospel mission. As God's people called, empowered, and sent, what new thing is God inviting you and us to do together, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but relying on God, returning to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give thanks that we get to be a part of what you are doing. We give thanks that we don't have to do this in our own power and our own ability, but in yours. We give thanks that you have called us together as your body, that you have equipped us with your spirit, with individual gifts that we can use together for the furthering of your kingdom. God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to see the world that you are sending us to that is right outside our front door. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment lived in in and out of us. God, we pray that you would continue to call us forward to this new thing that you are doing, there is a hope for a future that you've made certain for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray it. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at CanonUMC and Instagram at Church 2424